The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Phil Reich, in the beginning of his message, sometimes somebody just kind of crystallizes something that's so simple and so yet so true. And the two questions he asked at the beginning of his sermon are this. What do you owe God, and what does God owe you? What do you owe God, and what does God owe you? The answer to the first is everything, and the answer to the second is nothing. And yet the crazy thing about this life is that we turn things upside down. We turn these two things upside down, and, and as we somehow get honking our horns and rolling our eyes, and blasting emails and copying all so that somebody will see what this other person has done, and the social media digs and the trolling and all of our complaining and grumbling, we begin to act subtly as though we don't owe God anything, or at least he owes us more than we owe him. And the Bible tells us that that's just not true. It's just the opposite. Matter of fact, Jesus got, just got done telling the disciples about what it means to be unworthy servants and unprofitable. And the idea is that whatever you do, don't think that God owes you something. And, uh, you know, if you're the real estate agent and you sell the house, well, you don't start packing up your stuff and bringing it over to move in. Like, you know, hey, I, I, well, I helped make the deal. I guess I get to move in. And if you're the waiter and you brought the dish, it doesn't mean you pull up a plate and start eating with the family that you just served the meal to. You know your place. Well, the Bible says in the last days, there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. You listening, children? ungrateful, unholy. I can remember in the third grade at Brown Station Elementary School, right here in Gaithersburg, I was shocked for the first time learning about the sin of omission, which they didn't articulate it like that in the public school, but that's what it was. See, up to that point in my life, you only got in trouble if you did something wrong. That's when you get in trouble. What else could you get in trouble for, right? Well, we had a big chorus practice right in the middle of the cafeteria, and our whole grade was practicing some song in the lunchroom, and we would sing it again. And then the choir, the music teacher, called out one of the people in the class and said, you, you're out. And she said, or he said, I can't remember I didn't do anything. And the music teacher said, and that's what, right, and that's why you're out. You refuse to sing. I just remember being in shock. Like, well, I didn't know you could get in trouble for that. Well, off the student went, off to the side. The child wasn't singing and therefore was in trouble. Well, are we not called to sing? Are we not called to give thanks? We're to come and serve him today, not with gladness, or not with sadness, but with gladness. Pastor Ben shared a verse with me this week from Deuteronomy 28. 
in which God's giving blessings and cursings and the judgment in Deuteronomy 28, 47 is this. God says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. You didn't serve him with joy. And so in our household of God's service, one of the main things we're trying to help our children see is how to worship. And that's what this story from the life of Jesus is all about this morning. So listen carefully to Luke 17, beginning at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifting up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Lord, fill us with gratitude. Fill us with thankful hearts. Help us to see what you have done. And more, help us to see who you are and our need. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a book that came out some years ago now called The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. And he tells a story about from the life of Dr. Paul um, Brand, who was a missionary doctor, and he'd grown up as a missionary kid in India. And Paul Brand worked himself. He became a medical doctor, and he worked with um, leprosy patients in India. And one time he talks about giving the diagnosis to a leprosy patient, and he put his hand on his shoulder, and he laid out the plan for having him cured of his leprosy. And the leprous man broke down crying. And Dr. Brand struggled in his foreign language to understand why, why was he crying. And the leprous patient told him that no one had touched him in years. He broke down because of the compassion that was extended to him from the doctor, Paul Brand, just by simply putting his hand on his shoulder. You see, Jesus had compassion for lepers too, didn't he? And I want to look at here the condition of the leper, the command from Jesus, and then Jesus' cure and its effects or results. First of all, the condition. We're told plainly in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 what the life of a leper would look like. And it's not good. We're told that this is what Leviticus 13, 45 says. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. 
It's a sleepwalking nightmare that you never get over. Can you even imagine how lonely, how alienating, how removed from community, from society, how isolated it would be to no longer get a hug from a family member, not able to draw near to your spouse or your children, everybody moves away from you, nobody draws near you, everybody uh, is going, they just scatter, except the people that have the same terrible disease. And there's, those are the ones who had received the verdict from the priest. If the priest declared you unclean, then you would have to dwell outside the camp. And so that created all kinds of problems for these poor lepers, uh, socially, physically, economically, spiritually. It's just cascading bad news. Spiritually speaking, um, you're on your own. There's no priest that's coming to help you. Uh, They go away from you. Uh, You can't come into the city. You're not allowed to stick your head even to a roof of a house or the house is unclean. Much less are you going to get anywhere near the temple. You are uh, on your own. And so how are you going to experience grace if you can't even get near the means of grace? Socially, the leper was quarantined from society. I mean, they're like an aircraft carrier coming into the harbor. What happens if you're one of the other boats and an aircraft carrier is coming? <laughs> you get as far away as you can, okay? It's an aircraft carrier coming into the harbor. All the, everybody else is clearing the way, and they're getting away from you. Lepers became beggars because there's no way they could support themselves. Who's going to hire you? And your, your skills or physical skills are diminishing a quarter inch at a time. And if you're lucky, your family might leave you some food in a remote place like a drop-off spot, and maybe they could even give you a wave or something if if they're, you know, uh, upwind and you'd have to be downwind. And according to rabbinical teaching, lepers had to remain at least 100 cubits away if they were upwind and four cubits if downwind. Josephus, the Jewish historian, summed it up. He said lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men, dead men walking. So the lepers banded together and they formed leper colonies out of necessity with their fellow outcasts. And here we have something amazing. Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and Samaritans, have no dealings with one another, right? And yet we know that in this leprous colony of 10, one of them is a Samaritan. And yet he's accepted in this company because misery desires company. And so they're together. And so then you get to the physical aspects of leprosy, which were far worse than the social aspects, is that what Paul Brand discovered as a doctor, missionary doctor in India, he called leprosy a painless hell. You see, what happens with leprosy is that um, you begin to lose your extremities, you begin to, to rot away by inches, but the problem is you can't feel Well, he was the first physician to associate that leprosy did not cause the rotting away of tissues, but it was the loss of sensation to pain which made sufferers susceptible to injury. And so he came to understand that that in Hansen's disease, the patients didn't, it wasn't the Hansen's disease that was causing them to lose their limbs. It was them losing the sensitivity that led to the lack of feeling pain that led to 
the suffering of limbs. And so, in many ways, you could say um, that the alarm bells of pain were no longer there for the leprous person. And that's a lot how sin makes us harder and harder to, to sin. And uh, we become, the Bible describes us getting, becoming calloused or hard-hearted towards God. And that's, this, is, this is a picture of sin. And we can become stubborn, unthankful, always wanting more, never satisfied as we become more and more selfish and hateful and we don't feel the pain we're causing to others or to ourselves. And that's what addictions do. And so these lepers in this story, they, they stood at a distance from Jesus. They knew it was unlawful to get close to anyone. And they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now what's interesting about this is whenever somebody in the Gospels cries out, have mercy on me, the good news is every single time Jesus grants mercy. If you cry out to Jesus to have mercy upon you, he will have mercy. Five different times this happens in the Gospels. And every single time, Jesus shows mercy to different lepers, to different blind men, to different parents with child oppressed by a demon. And they all cry out, have mercy. And Jesus delights in mercy and heals the afflicted. Have you ever cried out to Jesus in your leprous sinful condition and asked Jesus to have mercy on you? The Bible promises that he'll forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you're wondering how these ten lepers knew, uh, how did they know who Jesus was? I mean, we're just told Jesus is near, they cry out for mercy. But in Luke 5, we're told that while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. So that means he was much further along in his leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This was the children's sermon. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So this particular healing, we're told, spread abroad. And if you're a leper, this news would have been the best news that you could possibly ever hear. There, there is actually a ray of hope that is breaking through the clouds. Somewhere, somebody has been healed of leprosy by a man named Jesus. And so when they hear that Jesus is near them, they just band together into this great Gregorian chant, Jesus, have mercy on us. You know, they're crying out for Jesus to have mercy. And Jesus then gives a command. Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Is that weird to you? It's like telling someone who can't swim to jump off the the diving board in the deep end. It's like telling a lame man to pick up his mat and walk. It's like telling a dead man to come forth. You don't go to the priest unless you're healed. And Jesus doesn't say anything about healing in the command. It's assumed. Go and show yourselves to the priest. It's a test of their faith. Do you believe who I am? Do you believe I'm God in the flesh and I have the power to heal? Go and honor my word and obedience. I will heal you on the way. 
And they probably had a little conference, and they decided, well, if we stay here, that ain't going to do us. This ain't working. (laughs) Uh, We haven't been healed here, and Jesus is our only chance in the universe, so let's just head on to the priest, and let's just see what happens. It's probably a pipe dream, but what do we got to lose? Let's go. And so they start walking, and lo and behold, something happened on the way, didn't it? They begin to look at each other in a new light. They begin to feel again. The skin that was yellow starts becoming white. And where it was hard becomes supple and soft. And lo and behold, they start to see whole limbs extended again. Nubs turning to fingers. Fingernails and toenails reappearing that they haven't seen in years. Hard externals becoming soft again. Scars disappearing. And here we learn an important lesson about Thanksgiving, don't we? Only one leper breaks ranks to return to Jesus. Thanksgiving is a curious thing. It has to be acted on immediately. Or it almost never gets actualized. Do you think those lepers, those nine, do you think they ever saw Jesus again the rest of their life? Probably not. And there's certainly no record of that ever happening. They're like Ruth's sister-in-law, heading back to her own people, never to be heard from again. Walking off the sacred page of Scripture, Naomi, you may remember, said to Ruth about Orpah, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Same thing here. The nine leopards went back to their gods. They had family to see, people to be reunited with, careers to be revived, lives to be lived. I can imagine the conversation between the ten going on something like this. The one leper, guys, we got to thank Jesus for this. Only, only God can do this. Oh, come on, Isaac. He told us to go to the priest. We'll thank him next time we see him. No, no, I'm going back. Come on, Isaac. We haven't embraced our, our wives or children in years. Why make them wait? No, guys, I'm going back. I'll catch up with you guys later. The one guy who healed me needs to hear from me. All right, whatever, Isaac. Tell Jesus thanks for us as well. Shalom. And that was it. Well, they all got what they wanted. All ten got what they wanted. They all got healed of their leprosy, but one got a whole lot more because he wanted more. He got Jesus. It's kind of like the woman who said to Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher in London, She said to him, if Jesus ever saves the likes of me, he'll never hear the end of it. And she was right. She just wanted to forever thank him. And that's what this leper wanted to do. That's what this leper, he had to do it. Everything else could wait because this was more important. And we were told in verse 15 and 16 that one of of them, this, this man, when he comes, he saw he was healed. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus asked him three questions. We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You see, the question gets at something, doesn't it? Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were not known for their theology, or should we say they were known for their bad theology. They only had the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus even told the Samaritan woman in John 4, you worship what you do not know. 
You are wrong, is what Jesus tells her. What we learn from this text is that the truer theologians are the last ones to give thanks to Jesus. So how much your theology you know doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become a worshiper. Why is that? Well, something deeper. This Samaritan knows deep down that he's a foreigner, that he's alienated, that he doesn't deserve this. The other nine, I have this sneaky suspicion that they had a sense of entitlement. This is what Jews deserves. We're God's people. And it's about time God has delivered the goods. It's about time that God has done this for me. And now I can get back to my life and my plans, my agenda, my story, my life, and my purpose. It's about time. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. But not the Samaritan. The Samaritan leper comes back to Jesus. And what does he do specifically? He praises God with a loud voice. This is kind of a fun word to look at, these two words in the original language. It's where we get the word mega for loud or large, and voice is phone. So megaphone is the two words. So this is where we get the English word megaphone. With a megaphone, he's letting everybody know. Praising who? Praising God. And he's falling at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus is accepting the worship because Jesus is God. He puts it together. He knows this is God in the flesh, that only God could do that. With a megaphone, he's praising God. On every page of scripture, if you look carefully, you will see the deity of Jesus Christ. And children, this is important. We just looked at in our staff meeting, Christianity Today's article were seven, I think it was 79%, was that what it was? 79% of people surveyed were asked, is Jesus the greatest being that God has ever created? And 79% said yes. 79% are heretics. That is not Jesus. Jesus created you. He was not created. That's what we just confessed in our faith this morning. He's the creator, but he's also the redeemer. And he has life in himself, and he's always had life. He was in the beginning with the Father. He was with God, and he is God. He was God. And so we don't believe that Jesus was a created being, but he did create us. And he created this leper, and he allowed him to have it, and now he's going to do something in it to make it himself known and glorified in it. And this leper gets it. And now he's giving him thanks. Amazing. This leper who knew, he knew the commandments of God. He had the first five books. He knew the first commandment. You'll have no other gods before me. And he knows to fall down prostrate and to worship would be considered idolatry unless this is God. And he's worshiping Jesus. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for this. Jesus receives the worship. He commends him and says, rise Go your way, and the better translation here is your faith has saved you. Made you well is not a very good translation. You see, in the original language, there's a different word for healing, and there's a different word for saving. The word for healing is therapeuo. That's where we get therapy. This isn't therapeuo used here. It's the word sozo, which is the word for saved. 
He says, your faith has sozo, has saved you. My point is this. They all got the therapeutic. They all got the healing. But only one got saved. All ten got healed of their leprosy, but only one got healed of his spiritual leprosy. And there's an important point behind that. Which is worse? Which is worse? Physical leprosy or spiritual leprosy? To be alienated and cut off on earth or to be alienated and cut off forever in hell? Say, come on, pastor, you're spiritualizing now. Well, Isaiah chapter 1 spiritualizes and it says about all of us that we're spiritual lepers. It describes our condition from the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. We are described as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, who forsaken the Lord and despise the Holy One of Israel and are utterly estranged. That's our condition that we are born in. That is a spiritual leprosy. J.C. Ryle describes it as this foul soul disease, which is ingrained in our very nature and cleaves to our bones and marrow with deadly force. The disease is the plague of sin, and like leprosy, it's a deep-seated disease infecting every part of our nature, our heart, our will, our conscience, our understanding, our memory, our affections. And like leprosy, it makes us loathsome and abominable, unfit for the company of God and unfit for the glory of heaven. Like leprosy, it's incurable by any earthly physician and is slowly but surely dragging us down to the second death. And worst of all, far worse than leprosy, it's a disease with, from which no mortal man is exempt. We are all in God's sight as an unclean thing. We all cry out, unclean. And so if this is the worst, most alienated, awful condition of a plague of a Jew in Jesus' day. It's terrible. But anybody in hell right now would trade it for an instant to be relieved of the agony of hell, to be a leper on earth. And so there's something much more hardening, something much more deadening that creates walking zombies much worse than, than physical leprosy. It's spiritual leprosy. And Jesus came to earth to save us from something much bigger than physical leprosy or physical diseases. Those other nine got what they wanted, but they still had filthy hearts that needed to be washed by the blood of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus loves spiritual lepers. And some of you may think, I'm, I, God could never do anything for me. I'm disgusting. You may loathe yourself. You come to Jesus and you say, will you heal me? Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. You see, Jesus, the interesting thing is Jesus not only touched a leper, the Bible says about Jesus that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds we're healed. Jesus experienced something much worse than leprosy on the cross. Martin Luther, I came across this quote this week, Describing what Jesus did on Good Friday, he says this, Christ says to me, you're no longer a sinner, but I am. I'm your substitute. All your sins are to rest on me and not on you. 
And Luther goes on to say the Son of Man performs the basest and filthiest work. He doesn't don some beggar's torn garment or old trousers, nor does he wash us as a mother washes a child, but he bears our sin, death, and hell, our misery of body and soul. He's not just your mama washing your face saying, oh, you need a little cleansing. He became sin. And if you don't come to God with any real sins this morning, Jesus doesn't come to you with any real forgiveness. Spurgeon said, Christ Jesus is not a physician who came into the world merely to cure a finger ache. No, but it's the deadly disease of sin that Christ has come to cure. He came all the way from heaven to earth and died in order not just to simply wash a tiny spot of blackness from a fair lady's hand, but he came to make the foulest clean. Jesus doesn't give sham forgiveness to sham sinners. He's a real savior who saves real sinners, who have real stains, who are real deceivers, real selfish people, real worry warts, real lust buckets, real self-righteous snobs whose hearts don't break and ache with mercy for downtrodden people, real complainers and grumblers who who lack real joy, real independent-minded self-help, sole of bootstraps the kind of people that depend on themselves for everything. He came and died for them. Real faithless people, graceless individuals who don't love the cross. And he comes to change them and make the, tr- the cross sweet to them. And he changes us so that they cry out like Paul did in Romans 6. Thanks be to God, you were once slaves to sin and become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were com- committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. The interesting thing about people that become grateful is they're the best team players, aren't they? They work really well on the team. Whenever you hear about these, these players and teams that become a cancer, it, you know, they hold out, they don't, you know, all of a sudden they're a cancer for the whole team. It happens in the church sometimes. People don't want to play anymore for the team. Well, because they've, they've lost the attitude of gratitude. Nothing tends to promote peace and order than gratitude to God for his mercies, says one old commentator. An ungrateful people is commonly a tumultuous, agitated, restless, and dissatisfied people. But William Hendrickson says gratitude makes for peace and excellent public relations. The best gift that we could give to our spouses, the best gift that we could give to our children, is to be thankful ourselves to God. It brings a lot of rest and shalom to the, to the community, doesn't it? And sometimes it means pulling away from the others that are all going in a different direction to all get their, their, they're off running their thing. But this Samaritan had to come home to Jesus and he had to pour out his thanks. And isn't that what we need this morning? Just to be thankful that we're in the kingdom of God and that we have been made clean who were filthy And if you're here this morning, you need to be washed, come to Jesus. Cry out, have mercy. He will have mercy on you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a friend of sinners, that you love your bride, the church. And we thank you that you came and gave yourself up for her to make her holy, spotless, and without blemish. We thank you for what you have done to wash us. And we thank you that you are 
more and more conforming us now and making us like you, Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would make us thankful people in the depths of our being and that it would lead to great contentment and peace with others and humility and gospel grace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.